Welcome to the Rocky Messages Podcast. Rocky is a community of believers that want to know Jesus and love like him. If there's something today that you'd like more of, make sure you listen to our weekly podcast, Rocky Unscripted. This is where we take topics and go even further with conversation, research, and study. But for now, let's listen to this week's message. Yeah, man, we can celebrate that, both campuses. Good to have our Frederick campus with us. Good to see all of you here at Niwot, everybody online. Man, that was Rocky Serve. We do that every single year. If you are new, it's kind of an annual event for us. And it's just a way where we look at our community and try to kind of communicate our mission. Like our mission is to know Jesus and love like him. And here's what we just believe. We believe that Jesus looked at his community and said, how can I help? And he showed up. And that's what we do. So we ask our community governments, we ask our school, our partner organizations, man, how can we help? What can we do to help you actually accomplish your mission? And man, when you ask people that, they show up and they say, here's here's all the projects. And so we had hundreds of people show up for that. And if you were a part of that group, Thank you. Um, Super grateful for it. And let's keep doing things like that. And we just have continual opportunities. And so the next thing for us uh, with both campuses, all of you online, is our Thanksgiving in a Box program that we do. And so we meet, we partner with some of our elementary schools and some of our organizations in the community. And we pack boxes of Thanksgiving meals um, for families that are underprivileged families. And so we would love to have you help with that. So it's super fun. If you want to meet some other people in the church and make some friendships, you should sign up for this. It's a great way to meet people and make friends. And so here's what you do. You go to rocky.church slash this week. All the information on signing up will be there. Now, one caveat to that. So both campuses, rocky.church slash this week. That's where you sign up to be a part of it. But if you're at the Niwak campus, there are some extra like special menu items that we have to have for the schools that we're working with. And so there is actually a grocery list out on the tables in the front, in the lobby, and you can grab those there, even sign up there if you would like. So if you're at Fred, if you're at Niwak, if you're online, we would love to have you help with that. Now, last thing before we jump into the message, I just want to say thank you to you all for your generosity. Uh, generosity with your time, generosity with your resources, because here's the thing. We have been able to connect with so many families recently through Rocky Serve. We've already got over 1,000 kids signed up for basketball and cheerleading, and we got three weeks of signups left. So we're connecting in so many different ways there. We've actually um, hosted a few funerals, and we have four families in our church that have, have seen some tragic things happen. But even in the midst... God has helped us reach out to so many different families. And I want to encourage you, when you serve and when you give, man, it just helps us take our mission and God's love and his grace and what we're going to talk about today and just reach out to people and connect. So we're a family, and uh, I know it's a little crazy out there right now with all the talk of inflation and economy and all those things, but one of the things God challenged us to do is to give and to give for the sake of others. And he always says, he says, challenge me in that. It's the one place he says, challenge me. And he says, I will come through and you will have more than enough in your household. So I just want to encourage you. Let's do that as a family for the sake of others. I want you to get to uh, Ephesians chapter 2. And we are jumping into the fourth week of our series called What's the Deal With? If you have not been here, I want to recap just for a second. So we've been talking about some theological issues. Like when you talk about theology, theology is the study of God. We've been talking about some foundational principles that are things we need to understand. And some of them are so simple that we don't give them enough credit. 
Like we don't dive deep into them and do a deep dive on them. Some of them, they're just confusing. And we're like, man, what does that really mean to my life? And so we've been jumping in asking, what's the deal with things like identity? So we jump in, we talked about identity that first week. And I'm telling you, people jumped all over the place saying, dude, that is the message I needed. That was a fun message. Like when you jump in and you talk about people's identity and say, hey, you were created in the image of God. You were the only thing in creation that was created specifically to reflect God's glory. Like you're gifted. Like God created you with intentionality and with purpose and with creativity. You are special. People are like, I need to hear that. Because we live in a world that I feel like it's beating me down all the time. I need to hear that message. And people got all excited about that message. Week two, not so much. Because week two, we talked about sin. And nobody wants to talk about sin, right? Week, week one was like, man, identity, you are valuable. God's week two, sin, you got a problem. <laughs> like we all have a problem. We intuitively know this. Like we get there is something broken inside of us. No matter how high we try to live to these high standards in our life, there are these moments where we just kind of revert, revert back to our kind of reactionary instincts. And we understand this. And no matter what you call it, the scripture calls it sin, there is something broken inside of us. And we actually went deep on that and talked about this idea of how when we sin, it's not just a, an act of disobedience that God doesn't like. What sin is, it's an act of union. Like what happens and what we talked about is when we sin, we unite ourselves with sin's character and we see that the selfishness that's in the world, it's because of sin, whatever you call that thing, it unites us with its character, but also it unites us with its consequence. And the consequence of sin is separation. We see it in our relationships and it's death. Separation from people and from God and then it's death physically and spiritually. And that morning, everybody's like, great, Glad I got up. Glad I came to church that day. We talked about sin. It was heavy. But then we went to week three. And week three, we talked about this idea. Identity says you're valuable. Sin says you got a problem. There needs to be an answer to your problem. And week three was the answer, but it was the word atonement. What's the deal with atonement? Everybody's like, what is atonement? Matt did a phenomenal job. Atonement is simply payment. It's a life for a life. If sin's penalty was death, there needed to be a life that was paid Death would be the penalty. Something had to pay that for forgiveness to happen. In the old sacrificial system, it, it was a lamb. And so you look through your Old Testament, you see these crazy passages about how they would sacrifice a lamb for an individual or for a family, or they would sacrifice a lamb once a year on the day of atonement for the entire community, for the Israelites, for the entire nation. Atonement was payment. Did you know in Old Testament history, they say that every year at the Passover feast where they would sacrifice lambs for every family, 250,000 lambs will be sacrificed every year to atone for the sins of the people. The gospel comes along and Jesus says, no more. No more, because those were temporary sacrifices. It was called this idea of substitutionary atonement where the lamb would take the death penalty for the person. It would substitute itself for the person. Jesus says, no more. I am the once and for all sacrifice and substitute for sin. And at the cross, he was the sacrifice. At the cross, he paid the price. And you see, identity says we're valuable. Sin says we got a problem. Atonement says there's an answer to your problem, and it's Jesus. And we get to week four. What's the deal with? 
I'm not going to tell you. We'll get there in a minute. 1772, there was a guy born named John. John grew up, became a sailor. John was not liked. He was on a cruise ship that had a massive amount of people, actually hundreds of people on this ship. And uh, he was a wild and crazy guy. Talk about cuss like a sailor. Um, His captain said, John invented ways. Invented ways, he said, that exceeded the limits of verbal debauchery. 1772, that's the language that they use. Man, he cussed like a sailor. He was a drunk. And the guy like this, I mean, he would fight all the time. His crewmates didn't even like him. He had like one friend on the ship. One time he fell off the ship, and instead of throwing him a life preserver, they threw harpoons at him. Like this guy was disliked. I mean, he took poor character like to a whole nother level. There was one moment on the ship where the captain was so angry with John. He was so prideful. Um, he was a drunk. He's just such a wild life that he lived, and he had done something on this ship. And the captain was so angry that he had him stripped naked and had him flogged eight dozen times in front of the entire crew. John was demoralized. He was embarrassed. He was demoralized in front of everyone. And he actually, in his mind, devised a scheme, even had a date on it, in which he was going to murder the captain. Like, literally, he was going to kill the guy. And so it comes to about that day, and he's getting ready to kind of execute his plan and start taking this thing, take this guy out, and a huge storm comes up. Like this massive storm comes up, and it was such a bad storm, like that people were just crying out, asking for God's help. I mean, but not John, right? Not at this moment with John, because they even called him, his nickname was called the Great Blasphemer. And when you think about blasphemy, and we talk about that idea, it's always in context with God. So John was the guy that cursed God. John was the guy that said God didn't exist. He hated God. But in this moment, something happened. His friend, his only friend on the ship, was swept off the ship, like never found again. And John is holding on for dear life. And finally, in the midst of like desperation and fear, John found himself like the great blasphemer finds himself crying out to God and saying, Lord, have mercy on us all. Not too long after he said it, the storm dissipated and went away. A couple days later, John is just reflecting on the whole experience. He's lost his friend. He's mourning that. And it says he began to think about the fact that the great blasphemer, who he was called, the guy who did not believe in God, the guy who cursed his existence, actually in his moment of greatest desperation, cried out to God and said, Lord, have mercy on us all. So John goes to Scripture. And John says, if I'm actually going to cry out to this guy, I don't know if I believe in him, but I cried out to him and he took the storm away. If, I, if I'm, if I'm going to cry out to him, then I should probably find out what he's about. And he goes to Scripture and starts reading and he lands in the book of Romans. And, and other books too, like Ephesians, and we'll go to that later today. But in the book of Romans, he begins to read, and he's read the book of Acts, and he realizes that the guy who wrote the book of Romans is the Apostle Paul. And John makes a connection. He makes a connection with this idea of God's just incredible grace. Like his grace that is a free gift to all of us, and he's going, not me. I'm the great blasphemer. But he connects with Paul, who calls himself the chief of sinners. Why? Because you go back in Paul's history, what Paul recognizes is before he was a Christian, he was a Christian hater. Like he was a Pharisee. He was a teacher of the law. He did not believe in the resurrection. He did not believe in this Jesus guy. And what Paul would literally do is go around with warrants for people's arrests to Christians' arrests. 
to different cities, and he would gather the Christians up that he had warrants for, take them outside the city, invite the teachers of the law and all the fundamentalist believers in God out there, and they would pick up stones, like not pebbles, not rocks, but stones, and they would throw them at these Christians until they were dead. This is not a good guy. But that Christian hater had a vision one day of Jesus who said, Paul, Paul, why do you persecute me? And he realizes that it's Jesus the Savior. And he places his faith in God and he becomes the greatest missionary of all time. And he writes half of the New Testament. And he talks about in Romans and Ephesians this incredible grace. And John connects with it and he's like, well, if he could save him, then he could probably save me. If he could save the chief of sinners, he could probably save the great blasphemer, right? And John gives his life to God, and he begins to write about this idea of grace, and he writes a song in 1772, and here's the words of the song. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound, that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Was grace that taught my heart to fear and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. John Newton wrote the words of the hymn that we sing, Amazing Grace. And John said that grace changed his life. What is the deal with grace? You see, grace is the foundation of everything we believe. We can talk about identity, we talk about atonement, we talk about sin, but when you come back to the response that we have to God, it is only by his amazing grace that we even have the opportunity to experience the things we've talked about before this in this series and what we'll talk about after this. Grace is amazing. And I think the best description that you could find about grace and the best teaching that you could find in Paul's writings to the different churches that he went and started is not in the book of Romans. It's actually in the book of Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 2, here's what Paul writes. And remember, this is the guy who says, I was the chief of sinners because, man, I killed Christians. But God not only had grace on me. He not only forgave me, but he accepted me and he asked me to be his missionary. <laughs> Paul's like, he gave me position. Like, you, you got to understand this. Understand who's writing this as I read. In verses 4 through 9, he says, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show his incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Jesus Christ. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Now what's the big deal about grace? And the big deal about grace in, in, the, in the Greek language, um, the word grace is the word charis. And it actually means, and it's been defined as the idea of, of the unmerited favor toward man. The unmerited favor of God toward man, meaning there is nothing that we can do to deserve God's mercy, his kindness, his love, his acceptance. There is nothing that we can do. It is the unmerited, undeserved kindness of God that is given to us. 
There's a guy named Jack Cottrell that is a great writer. He writes a book that's like this thick called uh, God the Redeemer, and he's a great commentator, great theologian, and he gives an illustration, and he says, here's the idea of unmerited favor. He says, imagine this. Imagine that you had $1,000 in your pocket, and you walked out of here today, and you went into Longmont, or you went into Frederick, or you went into wherever you are, and you walked up to someone, just a total stranger, and you walked up and you gave them 1000 bucks. Did they merit that? Like, did they work for that? Did they do something to deserve it? No, if it's a total stranger, you don't know them. That is unmerited favor that you gave them. But that's still, that has not captured the idea of grace. Imagine that you went into town wherever and you found the person that stole your car. Your wallet was in the glove compartment. They found your wallet. They ran up your credit cards. They, they took all the money out of your bank account on your debit card. And you walked up to that person and you handed them a thousand bucks. That is unmerited favor because what God is saying is I gave you something you couldn't even deserve, but what I gave you is even the opposite of the punishment that you actually deserved. Because here's the deal. We didn't steal God's car. We didn't run up his credit cards. What we did is we sinned. And when we sin, what it did is it caused there to be a penalty of death that needed to be paid. We didn't steal God's car. We didn't run his credit card up. We condemned his son to die on a cross. And God simply said, I love you. And I love you so much that I want to give you my unmerited kindness and grace and love and forgiveness no matter what you've done to put him there. That is what grace is. John Newton called it amazing grace. Paul called it a grace that we could never achieve that had to be just given to us. And Jack Cottrell goes on and he says, grace is the absolute extremity of God's love. God's grace is the willingness to accept us in spite of our sin. We must remember what sin means. We talked about this week too, but recapture it. We must remember what sin means to a holy God. It goes against everything that he is. It violates his righteousness he hates it with a holy hatred. And it is, the, it is in his very nature to consume it with wrath. Yet despite all of this, in his infinite love, he is still willing to receive rebellious sinners back to himself. He is not just willing to receive them, but lovingly desires to receive them. Instead of speaking grace of grace as unmerited favor, we should think of it as favor bestowed at when wrath is owed. That is grace. You see, identity says you have value. Sin says you got a problem. Atonement says I'm going to pay for that problem. Jesus paid for the problem. But grace says, hey, do you understand that that payment and what you were given and what you received, you do not deserve. There is nothing you could actually do to be good enough to deserve that. You go on and you dive through Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6 and 7. I, I, think we, I think we talk a lot about God's grace in the context of him giving us what we don't deserve, being forgiveness of sin, and even acceptance of who we are. But there's a whole lot of us who have been given, whether it be by a coach or a teacher or a parent, we've been given something begrudgingly that we didn't deserve. Have you ever had that happen? Like a coach is like, man, I should be doing this, but I'm going to do this. You guys should be on the line running, but I, you know, I'm a good coach. I'm going to be kind today. And, I, 
And there's a lot of us that look at the grace of God and say, well, I've received the forgiveness of sin and I've received his acceptance, but we think that he's done it begrudgingly. Man, what if grace, grace has got to be more than that. Ephesians chapter two, verse six and seven, listen to what it says. It says, and God raised us up with Christ. Can I say that again? He raised us up with Christ. He didn't just raise Christ. He raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Understand, this is how amazing grace is. Like understand this, get this. What God did is when Jesus was sent to the cross, if he would have just died, put in the, and he paid for our sin, but he never rose from the grave. Man, what hope is there in that? What God did is he put the exclamation point on atonement. The exclamation point on the price that was paid. Jesus' life, a life for life. His life for your life, his life for my life. The price of death for sin was paid. And Jesus says, God said, I'll prove it to you that that price was paid. I'll prove it to you that I've got what it takes to support you, love you, forgive you, and give you everything and I'll raise my son from the dead. But get this, when I raise him from the dead, I'm gonna give you the opportunity to be raised with him and not just raised from the dead, but I'm gonna give you the opportunity to be exalted with him from that grave and to be seated at the right hand of God with, ex, with, with like access to everything Jesus has access to. And you're going, what does that mean? Here's what this means. A couple years ago, a couple years ago, I was um, down at the CU campus, and uh, Mike McIntyre was the coach at that time, and, uh, and he had uh, been here to the church um, two different times and had spoken, and uh, just a great guy, developed a good friendship with him. I'm, I'm praying right now for CU and for Mike Sanford, jumped into that interim position, hard position. He's a guy who goes to our church, super excited for him, loved the energy he's bringing, and that connection we had there. But this was a few years ago, and Mike McIntyre had become just a little bit of a friend, and we had connected on some things. And so a buddy of mine was like, dude, you should go down to practice with me. He's like, because I get to go in because he was part of Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And, and uh, so my buddy Tab took me down to one of their practices, and I walked out on the field. I got to go through the, the weight room and kind of see that, and, and we walked out on the practice field, and we're standing together, and I'm just taking it all in. There's like, you know, like 75, 85 people out there and there's drills going on all over the field. I'm like, this is awesome. And all of a sudden I look around and Tab's gone because Tab knows like everybody there. And he's got access, he's got the badge, he's got the whole thing. I don't have any badges. I don't have any, you know, yeah, credentials to be there. And so I'm standing there. I was like, okay, this is weird. Tab's gone. And all of a sudden the security guy sees me and he walks over and he's like, hey, uh, um, do, do you, are you supposed to be here? Like, what, what are you doing? And he just kind of says that a little bit. And I'm like, I'm starting to sweat a little bit. I'm looking around for Tab. Like, thanks a lot, Tab. Where are you, man? And, and I said, well, you know, I'm this guy. And he said, well, look, you don't have credentials to be here. What are you doing here? And I'm going, I'm going to get kicked out of this place. Like, this guy is going to send me packing. And so just the tension, you can feel it. Like, I was feeling the time. I'm blessing a little bit. I'm like, dude, i trying to explain to this guy. He said, look, you can't be on the field unless you have credentials to be here. And I'm like, I know, but, and at that time, I look out on the field. Mike McIntyre's at the 50-yard line. He's running some drills with some guys, and he looks over, and he doesn't know I'm coming that day. He doesn't, but he sees me, and he locks eyes with me. His eyes get big. 
And he just starts beeline for me, run over, and he says, hey, Sean. And he actually jogs off the field. And I'm looking at this guy like, yeah, yeah. And he runs over, and he wraps me up in this big hug, and he just starts talking to me, and he holds me there for like 15 seconds. And while he's talking to me, we're like, dude, it's good to see you, man. I'm so glad you're here. This is great. And he lets go, and he's like, oh, dude, no problem. He's with me. And I'm like, yeah, I'm with him. It's all right. And he takes me and he walks me out onto the field, like 15 yards on the field, and he just starts telling me about stuff. And here's what we're doing here. And these guys are over here. And he said, hey, by the way, dude, so glad you're here. Oh, you're with Tab? That's great. Well, you're with me too today. And here's the deal. You got access. You want to look at the weight room. You want to look at this. You just check everything out. You two guys just check everything out. You got access because you're with me. That's grace. God didn't just forgive your sin. God didn't just say, hey, I begrudgingly accept you. No, he said, I accept you because I love you and I can't do without you. And here's what I'm gonna do. My son's gonna pay everything for you and then I'm gonna raise you. And if you have faith in me, if you will believe this, if you'll buy into this with me, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna give you access to everything because you're with him. And what Jesus did is he came out of that grave and he went to his disciples and then he went to the people that believed in him and then he looks at you and me and he says, hey, you're with me. And because you're with me, you got access to it all. Guys, that's what grace is. Like grace is that amazing. That's why John Newton wrote and just, he wrote the words, amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Like what do you need to hear? Like John heard, if God could save Paul, the chief of sinners, he could save the great blasphemer, and that's what I need to hear. Some of you, you're sitting there today, and you're like, man, I I don't even know how to understand this because my whole life's been about achievement. Like everything, everything that we teach our kids is like, we want you to achieve. We want you to achieve like good grades. We want you to get the trophies. We want you to get, you know, get the scholarship. We want you to graduate and do well. We want you to get the promotion, achieve, achieve, achieve. And then we look at our relationship with God, and there's so many of us who grew up in church, and all we've been trying to do is achieve. Achieve his goodness, achieve his blessing. If I pray more, if I, if I serve more, if I give more, if I... And he's saying, whoa, 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 whoa. Everything that needed to be achieved was achieved on the cross. All you need to do is receive. See, the thing about grace is grace is not achieved. Grace is received like understand that grace is not achieved grace is received and there is nothing that you can do to earn God's grace the only thing that you can do is believe and receive that grace from God you might put it in a different way Mike McIntyre I saw Mike McIntyre Alistair Begg is a pastor, famous preacher and speaker, and he gives a great illustration about a scriptural passage that carries the same idea. You see, when you think about the, the thief on the cross, there, was, there were three crosses. There were two thieves. They were robbers, they were called, but these thieves or robbers were probably much more than that. They were probably murderers. They were on a Roman cross. They were hanging next to Jesus. And if you remember how things started in that moment, in that story, you have two thieves that are looking at Jesus and they are cursing him. There's one is saying, if you're God's son, why don't, you, why don't you call down and you save yourself, man? Why don't you save us too? And the other guy's cursing, but they see every moment of this whole time on the cross, these three hours, Jesus is forgiving. 
He's giving grace. He's loving people. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And, and in the moment, they see John bring forward Mary. And Jesus looks at one of his best friends. He says, this is your mother. Mother, this is your son. Take care of her for me. And they just see these expressions of grace. And finally, one is so angry and he's so bitter and he's so mad about this sacrificial system out there that he's never been ever to live up to. And this other guy's like, but this is different. Like there's something different about this guy. And the other thief looks and he looks at Jesus and he actually says, hey, can I be with you? Like when you make it, because I know you'll make it there. But when you make it there, can I make it there? Can, would you take me with you? And can you imagine that moment? Alistair Beck goes on to describe that moment. He's like, can you imagine that moment when they die and the dude shows up? Like the thief shows up and the angels stand there at the gates and he's like, hey, uh, why should I let you in? And the guy's like, I, I don't know. He's like, well, have you been a Bible study before? Uh, no, I was, I was on a cross. <laughs> well, you know what justification by faith is? Uh, deer in the headlights, has no idea what that is. The angel's like, Alistair Beck says, he probably gets his supervisor, brings a big angel out, and the big angel's asking all these questions. He's like, hey, here's the deal. Why should I let you in? And the thief on the cross looks at him, he says, because the guy on the middle cross said I could come with him. Guys, that's grace. There is nothing that we can do to achieve the place with God. The only thing we can do is to receive it. I had a tough, difficult situation this last Thursday night. I did a funeral. And probably the majority of the people um, at that funeral come from a denomination that's pretty works-based. Very works-based. Very much of like, man, I, I have to do this and I have to do this. And if I don't do this, I need to go to someone and I need to confess my sin and, and I need to ask forgiveness. And when I sin again, I need to go back and ask forgiveness. And it's just constant back and forth. And I just remember in that moment, there was so many tears in this funeral because it was just the moment of like, oh. And I knew what I was preaching this weekend and I shared about grace. And I, don't, I can't even tell you the number of people that came up after that were part of that denomination that came up after and said, I've never heard that before. The problem with many of us, even from our group of churches, or from whatever group of churches you come from that still know about grace, because our society is so much about earning, is so much about achieving, is so much about working hard, is just built into our society, it's almost like we've never heard it. That we don't let ourselves down to understand that we just, we just can't. We are stuck in this place with sin and there is nothing we can do to get out of it. There's a guy named Donald Hunt. He wrote, writes this old ancient book that I've got on my shelf that is called The Unfolded Plan of God. And he gives the illustration and it is an old ancient illustration. He said, imagine you, imagine you were a person who fell into a well. That's an old ancient illustration. So imagine you fell into a well and you're down in that well. What would you do? Like if you're down in a well and you can't get out and, and there's no rope for you to get out and, and all that, you try to climb up the sides, you do everything you can. You can't get to the top. You keep falling back down. You just can't. So what do you do? You cry out to your neighbor. You're like, can somebody come help me? And your neighbor comes and he puts down that ladder and you climb up that ladder Donald Hunt gives this idea and he talks about this idea of when you're down in that well of sin, in that pit of sin, what Jesus did at the cross is he came and he put that ladder down there. What God does, he says, is God does the providing and we do the participating in salvation. 
But understand this. What most denominations will say is they put, Jesus put that ladder down and buddy, you better climb up it. No, no, grace says Jesus put the ladder down and he climbed down the ladder to you and he carried you up the ladder. You see, the picture is this. In scripture, every time you see someone place their faith in Jesus, what you see is they do the exact same thing that the thief on the cross did and they just ask they're like, okay, I, I'm starting to get this. And you don't have to know all of it. All you have to understand is John 3, 16, that God, for so, God for, so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that if you believe in him, you will not perish but have what? Eternal life, connection, be raised to position with Jesus out of your darkness of sin and given a new life. He says, we just ask, we ask, we believe we ask, and then what you do see in Scripture, what you do see in Scripture in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, you see people who place their faith in Jesus. The, the resurrection was such a big deal to them. Like, do you understand that in the early church in the first century, like the resurrection was such a big deal because the sacrificial system, it would have been just like the old sacrificial system to sacrifice a lamb, and he dies, we move over that lamb, we're done. Sacrifice Jesus, he dies on a cross, he stays in the grave then we gotta do it again. But the resurrection happened. And it is everything we base our faith on. And some of you say, I, don't, I, I question that. I would encourage you to check it out because you have a hard time, even though it is supernatural, even though it is miraculous, when you see all the things that have happened since, all the things that Jesus has changed in this world, all the evidence that there is about the resurrection, you have a hard time explaining it away. The Bible says that people, when they placed their faith in Jesus, they believed in him, they asked for him to be their forgiver and the leader of their life, and then they participated in the death, the burial, and the resurrection at their baptism. Baptism did not save them. The cross and the resurrection saved them, but the resurrection was such a big deal that it was the celebration, the moment when death passes to life, where it's just saying that because of my faith, because what I place my faith in, Jesus has forgiven my sins, he has given me eternal life, and we are participating in the death, the burial, and the resurrection. And that's why you see people come out of the water going, yes, because it's just a picture of how much God loves us. You see, Jesus put the ladder down and he said, I'm coming down, will you allow me? Will you just ask? And I am freely willing to give. Would you ask? And would you receive? Man, if you have not done that, I don't know if you've ever understood grace before in that context of grace is just something. It is the unmerited favor of God that came through the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ that is offered to you as a gift that you simply just have to say, I believe and I want to receive it. If you've never done that, I'd encourage you right after the services, I would encourage you to come up front to our prayer team. If you're online, you should just reach out to us online and let us know and you can pray and ask God to be your savior and you can schedule your baptism. Let's do it. You should. It's that easy. And let me tell you why you should. You should really consider this because for some of you are still like, man, dude, that sounds really good. But I don't know, I don't know if I quite buy the whole thing. Let me ask you this, what else changes the story? Like there are other stories available for you. 
Like if you want to step in and you want to look at some other stories, I, I would encourage you just to check some other things out. You want to check out any other religion, every single one of them, they will say you got to work your way to God. There are even some of them that talk about the ideas of, of you gotta work your way to God and it's a race to God and whoever works more and does better will get there and some of you won't get there. That's not what the gospel says. And by the way too, every one of their prophets and every one of their so-called saviors are all dead and still in the grave. <laughs> Jesus is alive. Jesus rose from the dead and he says, I just, I did it all. I just want to give you the gift. And not only that, what changes the narrative in the world? Like if you just step back into our world today, you, I, I just look at this world right now in our lifetime, and it is incredibly divided. And it's just natural because when you're an achievement culture or when you become like this culture that says, oh, there's so many laws and rules and you got to, what you do is you begin looking down on people that don't achieve or follow the laws and rules or fit your picture of things like you do and so no wonder there's so much like division out there like if you want to go all the way back to the first century let me tell you how grace changed the story like in the first century there was the romans they were in charge when jesus was on this earth when he was like teaching and doing his ministry and they were considered to be way open-minded because they were pluralistic excuse me plural i can't even say it you guys know what i'm talking about they had many gods Right? They had all these gods that were out there. And you would think that they're so open-minded. It sounds like our society today, right? So open-minded, so accepting of all people, so inclusive of all people. Man, the Romans, what were they? They were focused on class. They were focused on gender. They were focused on religion. They were focused on race. And they divided people accordingly. And there were all the people who had the spoils and they were the ones who were important and everybody else was low on the totem pole, divided and kept that way. Christians come along and everybody said, man, they're so rigid. Christians are so rigid. They say there's only one God and that's Jesus. They only say that. And you would think that in that case that a rigid society like that would be, would be kind of like, you know, wouldn't be inclusive that they would separate people. What did Christianity do? Christianity brought people together. Christianity elevated everybody, elevated the position of women in society, elevated the position of every gender in society, every race in society. It brought people together. It connected them. Man, the Romans looked at the poor and they just got rid of them. The Christians looked at the poor and said, come, we'll take care of you. We'll love you and let us tell about this Jesus, tell you about this Jesus that loves you. And 300 years later, Constantine, the Roman emperor, gets up there and puts an edict out that the national religion of Rome or the entire world at the time is what? It was Christianity because grace took over the world. Because everybody looked at it and said, man, I actually, I'm looking for that. I don't want people looking down their nose at me. I don't want to be looking down my nose at other people. I want acceptance and love like that. And it's changed the world. And grace is the reason that you're sitting here today. So if you sit there and you look at me and say, I don't know if I buy it. Well, what do you buy? Is there something else that answers the question of sin and brokenness like grace? John Newton, he'd say, it's so amazing it changed my life. 
John Newton left that ship. It was a slave trading ship. It would take Africans and they would sell them in Europe. And they would sell them on the slave trade and they made money just hand over fist on this. But John Newton was struck by grace and he looked at him and he said, that is a creation of God who finds their identity in God just like me. And there is no way that I can look down my nose at someone else because I am a sinner saved by grace just like they are. In fact, he would say, I'm the worst. <laughs> John Newton left that ship. He joined forces with a guy named William Wilberforce. They created the Anti-Slavery Society, which was one of the leading organizations that helped abolish slavery in Europe, which led to the abolishment of slavery in the United States because of grace. You just tell me what else changes the story. Grace changed John Newton's story. Grace changed the Apostle Paul's story. And I think grace can change your story. John Newton got older, and the story goes that he got older and um, had dementia. There's a lot of things that didn't connect for him, and there was one day of lucid, he was just kind of lucid, and he was able to say some things, and someone was interviewing and talking to him, and he says, I can't remember much, but I know this. I am a great sinner, and I have a great Savior. It's the one thing he could connect. And I don't know about you, but I, I just know that grace has changed my story. And I believe that grace can change your story. And what's so great about it is you don't have to work for it. You don't have to achieve it. All you have to do is bow your head today, and you just pray, and you ask for it. And then you respond and you, sell, you, you schedule your baptism and you help us, you let us help you. Just connect you in a relationship with Jesus. We're gonna sing. I'm gonna pray for you and then we're gonna sing those words to amazing grace. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. What is it you need to hear from God today? And if you hear anything else like, man, I'm not worthy of or I'm not good enough or that's not God. What you got to hear today is, man, I'm just a sinner saved by grace, and I, I am loved. I am forgiven, and I got position. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for your grace. And God, we just, again, we ask for it. I pray for those who have not received it. I pray that they would ask for it today. Pray that they would come down front. We've got our prayer teams down front. I pray if they're online that they would reach out to us. And Father, just let us help them. And then, Father, I pray that there will be just many who, because of grace, it not only just changes their direction eternally, but I pray that it will change their relationships in their life, the way we treat people, the way our society begins to see who God is and who His grace is. Father, I pray that you will do some great things through our understanding of your amazing grace. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Thank you.